0: Before I read it again, I want to tell you a quick story. Yesterday, um, my my, uh, family gathered, yeah, I guess my family gathered, my daughter and son-in-law, and uh, we went over to our son's house in Vadnais Heights uh, because we were celebrating Callie's third birthday, my granddaughter Callie's third birthday. And I had a really fascinating surprise as I walked in the door, uh, yesterday, it's a split level, and I came in and was walked up the stairs, and I walked up the steer- stairs, I hear this little giggle, and and there is my granddaughter, Callie, three years old, and she's wrapped in a big towel, she's, her hair is all wet, and she's giggling, and my daughter-in-law says, Callie wants Papa to snuggle with her. <laughs> and so, I grabbed Allie and I snuggled with my granddaughter and I walked around the house and we talked and giggled and I gave her back to her dad and he he put clothes on her and for the next few hours as people were scurrying around to prepare for this uh, party vacuum cleaners and window cleaning and everything I played with Callie we just Spent time together, we laughed, and we started off by running she 's full of energy. We ran from the living room into the into the four season porch and jumped on the couch together, and then ran back and I grabbed her by the ankles and I swung her around and we just were together. We got on the floor together and played with little figurines and it was just an absolute delight. Uh, yesterday, I was also with my five year old daughter. Uh, granddaughter. Uh, that'd be tough for a 61-year-old, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, Chloe, and she joined with us. and We went outside and played, and, and it struck me later that I spent this precious time with weaned little girls. Girls that are no longer breastfeeding, but are, are fully weaned. And here I have prepared this text on um, On this, and I think that that just gave a depth to this text for me personally. As I read it again, I'd like you to look at at David's posture. What is his posture as he writes this psalm? This is King David writing. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up; my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great. And too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Do you see his posture? Right from the beginning, it is a posture of humility head down, eyes down looking at his own limitations. This is the posture of this great warrior, leader, king, David. Unbelievable. Psalm 131 is interesting. It's it's part of a collection of psalms that starts in Psalm 120 called the Psalms of Ascent or the Songs of Ascent. And it's interesting in 120, I won't go through all of them, but in 120 it talks about Basically, I'm tired of the world. I'm tired. And, and then verse 20, 20, 121 Lord, protect us, keep us, help us. The p- image is of, I'm leaving the world, I'm on my way up to Jerusalem along with my brothers and sisters. And verse one, uh, chapter 122, finally they make it and they say, I want to go right to the temple. I was glad when they said to me, Let us. Go into the house of the Lord. It was psalms that they sang on their way to Jerusalem while while they were in Jerusalem. Such a beautiful collection of psalms. I love them. Most of them are quite, actually, they're all quite short. And then it talks about humility. It talks about penitence. God is the one who keeps and provides. Psalm 125, a psalm of trust the one that, that strikes me most in this context is Psalm 130. It's the one that right before Psalm 131. It's a psalm of penitence and forgiveness from God. He says, verse 4, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord a psalm of forgiveness it's a it's a psalm of humility and this collection is a is a collection of psalms of humility it is god who blesses it is god who gives us favor he is the one who protects us he is our rock he is our fortress this is the story of the psalms isn't it i cry out to god for help because he is the one who can help me in fact it's the story of the bible we call out to God for help. He is the one who redeems. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who helps us. He is the one who provides. And then we come to Psalm 131. And psalm, uh, David starts this psalm with this amazing phrase. "O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My, ha- my eyes are not raised too high. This great king takes a posture of humility. And then he continues, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. There are things that are beyond me. I am limited, he said. There's so much that I don't understand. God is great. God is powerful. He is beyond what we can imagine. The Bible says, gives the image of God measuring the heavens with with a span like this. He says the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Wow. He humbles kings of the earth. He is all powerful. How can I understand these things? And what about our questions? I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. When I was in, uh, just probably finishing high school, 17, 18 years old, I started to ask the question, is there really a God? I grew up in church, heard about God, I professed faith, and, and then I thought, is there really a God? And I started a quest how do I know that God actually exists? And I kept going question after question. By the time I was in my mid 20s, I actually thought I would have a very difficult, almost insurmountable question in my brain for the rest of my life. That's what I thought. One question after the other. You ever felt like that? One question after the other. You know, I, I worked through each one. I talked to people. I read books. I came to some kind of conclusion on all of it. But you know what? In the end, we can't wrap up everything so tightly in a little bow because we're so small we are so limited god is so beyond us his thoughts are not our thoughts his ways are not our ways who can know the mind of the lord we are so small we are so limited and david recognizes that and so he says i humble myself my head is down my heart my eyes are down there's so much I don't know, and I can't occupy myself with that. I can't spend my time thinking about that. I love the book of Habakkuk, one of my favorites in the Bible. Uh, Habakkuk is, lives in a time of Israel of great sin, and it was just ugly. And he comes to God, and he says, God, do you see what's going on? I'm paraphrasing, by the way. God, do you see what's going on? The, the, The unrighteous are doing evil to the righteous. There's corruption everywhere. Why don't you do something about it? And God responds to Habakkuk. And he says, oh yeah, I got it. I'm working on it. In fact, I have a plan. And it's something that if I told you, you wouldn't believe. And then he spills the beans. I'm raising up the Babylonians and they're going to come and they're going to severely discipline my people. This is part of his redemptive plan is to bring them back through severe discipline. And Habakkuk's response is amazing. It's beautiful. He says, are you from everlasting? I'm not uh, paraphrasing here. Are you not from everlasting? You are our holy one. He goes on to talk about God being sovereign and in control. He gets it. Yeah, God can do things that we don't see. He's so much beyond us. And then all of a sudden, he catches himself. Wait, the Babylonians? Not the Babylonians. They're way worse than we are. How can you use them to punish your people? God says, oh, I got that figured out, too. I have the whole thing figured out. I know exactly how I am going to punish the Babylonians, too. Habakkuk, you need to trust me. And then he says these very important words, which are so significant in all of the Bible. The righteous one lives by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. We have to trust him. And this is a theme in the New Testament. Our life before God is a life of faith. We are small. We don't have all the answers. Our only hope is to trust him. And that's what David says here. He says, I'm humble. I don't have all the answers. But, verse 2, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I am like a small child. So I ask the question, are you like a weaned child? We better dig into that. What does he mean by this? David, what do you mean like a weaned child? There are a few things that can help us understand this. One, weaned children are the The weaning process in ancient times and throughout our world today was a much later process than we do here in the United States. So uh, around the world today, the average time approximately that children are fully weaned is between four and four and a half years old. That's strange to us as Americans. But we're not talking about infants that uh, that are really little, you know, six months, eight months, you know, a year-old baby. We're talking about kids that are walking around, right? That helps us understand it. Secondly is this the fact that they are weaned. It's a past tense. He's talking about kids that have already gone through the process of weaning, the trauma of leaving, uh, leaving the, the breastfeeding process. So it's done. It's over. And now they're at a different stage, they're at a stage like my daughter Callie, uh, granddaughter, here I go again, granddaughter Callie and my granddaughter Chloe. They're a little bit bigger. They can sit and listen to the adults talk. And they're taking things in. They're learning. But you know, they don't, they don't know too much. Callie, was we're playing on the ground, she's like babbling and talking and she's just kind of talking silliness and foolishness. She really knows so little about life. She's a three-year-old right? But she is much closer to me in intelligence than I am to God, than we are to God, by a long shot, by a long shot. David is saying, I'm taking the posture of a little child. Another thing that really helps us understand what what David means by a weaned child is the words of Jesus himself. One day Jesus was with the disciples and they came with a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little little child to himself and placed the child in the midst of the disciples. And he said this, Truly I say to you, unless you convert and become like children, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless we turn, convert like a child. And we cannot be great in the kingdom unless we convert and be like a child. What is it about children Little children that is an image for us, they, they have to trust. They have to be dependent. They are dependent. And they've moved to a new stage of maturity. It's not instant gratification anymore. It's delayed gratification. And so we don't get all the answers now. We have to wait for the answers, right? And so we are like a weaned child. What an image for a warrior king to say, to describe himself. A, a weaned child. It's interesting what Jesus is describing here, becoming like a child. This is what some people call the inverted kingdom. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such as these belongs the kingdom of God. He who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The weak become strong. Power is perfected in weakness. It is an inverted kingdom. It's completely different than the world that we live in. It's a kingdom that belongs to the humble because they have the king present in them. Wow. It is amazing. Are we humble like a child? Do we have a simple trust amidst the complexities of our world today? If you could keep your finger in... Psalm 131, we're going to get there. We're going to come back there. If not, you can find it. That's not a problem. I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 5 real quickly with me. It's page 809 in your, in your pew Bible, if you're looking along in the pew Bible. In Matthew 5, Jesus is introducing this kingdom that we're talking about, this inverted kingdom, this kingdom of heart transformation. And it's very early in his ministry, and he's just introducing it, and he does it through the, what is considered the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Verse 1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once again, the inverted kingdom. He invites human beings to humble themselves before God. I was in a... um, Leadership training in Rio de Janeiro. Linda and I had helped plant a church in Rio de Janeiro, and uh, we had we were done planting and pastoring, but we were part of the church for a season, and we were invited to this training. There was a woman sitting next to me. Uh, that um, was a fairly recent convert to Christianity. Uh, she had professed faith in Christ. She had been baptized, and she was chosen with her husband to be part of this uh, training for. A few possible future leaders and um, I don't know what we were talking about but I remember what I said and I remember her reaction some just in the context I said something like this the li- the life of christianity at the heart of of christian the christian life is surrender and she bristled and she turned and she said what? And I remember just being shocked that she missed the memo. That, that Christianity is about Christ and to enter that relationship is an act of humility, it's surrender. And from that day forward, it is a life of surrender. She missed the memo and she was in shock and she was angry at what I said. I was was shocked at her reaction. The kingdom is for the humble. It's for the dependent. It's for the ones who believe that Jesus is their only hope. It is for those who believe that without Jesus, we have nothing. He is everything. This is the kingdom that Jesus introduces um, on, um I want to tell you what humility looks like. Uh, there's so many ways that we could talk about the, the power of humility, but I want to talk about it a little bit in terms of fatherhood, being that it is Father's Day, right? So uh, my dad uh, just died. April 12th, my dad died, and um, he was a man of God. I've given so much energy in these last few months to reflect on my dad's life. My dad was a big guy, 6'4", six, six, 230. He was about his average weight in life. He was a big guy. He had a, he had a, a lot of presence to him. He was, he was a strong man, strong opinions. And he loved Jesus, and he loved people. He was, he was amazing. People were drawn to him. And he was a humble man. As bright as he was, as strong as he was, he was a humble man. You know what that, that humility looked like? One, he just loved God and, and the Bible. He loved to sing and to worship. He loved God, and he knew how to love people. He has, his, one of his main sayings, maybe his main saying in life, was treat everyone as if they're the most important person in the world. What a phrase. It kind of takes together the golden rule and Philippians 3, right? Golden rule, treat others as you would want them to you would like to be treated, and Philippians 2 treat others as more important than yourself. And it's kind of in a phrase, treat others as the most important. Treat everyone as if they're the most important person in the world. After my dad's death, people started coming to us and telling us about him and they were writing letters and sending texts and responding on Facebook. And what people said over and over was this, when I was with your dad, I knew that I mattered. He was present with people. and He he was intrigued by people, so he would ask questions. And he would listen to those questions. People knew that they were important because he loved them he simply took time to care for people to look them in the eye and not be in a hurry oh, what a gift that was to me he was present for me as a as a dad pretty much every day he said i love you son and he lived it he loved me he loved my do- my sister and my boy i got that all messed up I, my sister and my brother right He just loved so well. He almost never talked about himself. He just liked to ask questions and hear from people and learn from people. He loved really smart people because he knew he could learn from them. He wasn't intimidated by them. He he was a sponge when he was around them. Uh, Verse uh, 5 also described my dad so well. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, meek, I think Andrew said this when he preached this last year. Uh, meek is not weak, right? The, this word is amazing. It, it is, was used, among other things, to describe a horse that was tamed. It's power under control. This was my dad. Power under control. And as I think, thought about David... Here is a powerful man. He is a king. He's a warrior. He killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands to protect sheep. Who does that? I mean, that is incredible. He, he, was, he was brilliant, but he's also a musician and a poet, a Renaissance man, right? He was incredible, and yet his desire is to be like a weaned child. Man, is that incredible. And then Jesus himself. God, the creator of the universe, becomes flesh and dwells among us, and he says about himself, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus was gentle. Divine power under control. Humble, fully dependent on his father. Read the Gospel of John sometimes and just look at the dependence of Jesus on his father and you will be in awe. He was dependent, dependent. These are our examples of power under control. I don't know if I know two that are better than David and Jesus. Of course, Jesus is the greatest of course, uh, of all of the, the great humble people. But power under control. Do you desire this? Do you desire to be a man, a woman, a child, a friend, a worker, a son or daughter of God who is humble, who is dependent, who is gentle, we must desire it, we must desire it. Back to Psalm 131. So, David gives his expression of, of humility in, in verse 1 and then in, in verse 2 he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. How did he get to the place of humility? He calmed and quieted his soul. This, this word calm has the idea of leveling, to, to flatten out. It's not letting yourself get too excited or not getting too down. It's be calm. And quieted means quieted. It's not a complicated word. It's the, <laughs> it's the word to be, to be quiet, Right? calmed and quieted. If we are to live a life of humility, it is extremely helpful for us to quiet and calm ourselves. How hard is this today? What's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? Does it have anything to do with your smartphone? Where do you go when you start your day? It is so hard for us to sit and be quiet. We have noise all the time. We have our phones going. We got music playing. We have podcasts. We have things in our ears. It drives me crazy as Linda and I walk. She walks a lot more than me. But as we walk and we see these people with the earbuds and we're like, the birds are singing it's spring, you know. It's like we have noise, noise, noise. Quiet and calm. Quiet and calm yourself. Why? Why? to take that place of humility, to find your strength in in God, to find your strength in Christ, to let him instruct you, to listen to him. What a gift these words are from David to us. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Wow, that is so powerful. And then he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. David knew that the hope was not in his kingdom. The hope was not in him as king. The only hope was God himself. And he calls Israel to hope in God. But I love the way he finishes it. From this time forth and forevermore. So today I hope in the Lord, and tomorrow I hope in the Lord. It is a process of hoping in God until I have my final rest, my final hope fulfilled in the future kingdom, in glory. This is the life of the Christian. From this day forward, we are humble day after day. We are dependent day after day, and we hope in the Lord whatever we go through in this life, whatever difficulty we go through, we hope in the Lord. We know how this story ends. Right? And so our heart is lifted up because we have a God of hope who will deliver us to the place of hope. I have a challenge for us, all of us, including myself, for this next week. Every day, have time for calm and quiet time with the Lord. Can you do that? You can do that. We can all do that. Every day, calm and quiet time with the Lord. To be with him. To listen to him. To worship him. To be with him. We can do that. Calm and And quiet time. Now some of you actually might experience this better running than sitting on a couch. I don't know. Right? I don't know how that's going to look like for you. And maybe some of us can even calm and quiet our hearts numerous times throughout the day. To realign our hearts before the Lord numerous times. Lord, help me. I humble myself before you. I humble myself before you. You are my hope. Help me, Lord. Help me. I rely on you to continually live a life of dependence on God. Let's pray together. Father, your word is such uh, an incredible gift to us. Such an incredible gift. Thank you for touching David and inspiring him to bring us these words. These challenging words and these words of of hope for us. I pray, Lord, that this day, this building, and everyone who's listening to this will humble That we all would humble ourselves before you. That we would find our hope in you, our life in you. That we would trust in you. And that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I pray that you would meet us and give us hope and delight in you this week as we calm ourselves, as we quiet ourselves before you. I believe that you will, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to live it. We pray together. In in the name of Jesus, amen.